Man, it's so exciting to be before you guys. Um, if you don't know who I am, I've been gone for a few months. Um, I'm Mo, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm actually the family pastor here. And so I've been gone uh, for a few months, uh, actually November and December. I, I was gone because I was on sabbatical. So I want to first of all thank my family, my church family, for giving me a time to rest and to, to be with God and be with my family. Amen. Praise God for you guys. Man, thank you guys. And so, uh, you know, fitting that we get to, I get to break bread with my family today. And so as we break bread, we're going to look at Psalm 62. And if, if, you, can, if you, you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you. And you can open up to page 309. Uh, Psalm 62 was actually very dear to me as I was, um, you know, on sabbatical. And as you know that John, for the last three weeks, he's been going through the Psalms. And so I like to say I'm about to tie a bow uh, on what John has been saying this week. And so... Psalm 62, and why don't you read with me, and let's first look at what God has to say, and hopefully, you know, the Lord will use whatever I have to say to, to bring clarity to the things that don't make sense. Psalm 62 says this, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Selah. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Selah. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If, if wealth increases... Don't set your heart on it. God has spoken. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are our salvation. You are our refuge. You are our strength, God. I pray even as I, pray, as I preach, Lord, that you would be my strength, that everything that I've sung up until now will be a reality for me and for those who are hearing what I'm preaching, Lord. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you hide me behind your cross. I pray, Lord, that as I utter your word, Father, that, that, that hearts would be open to it and receptive to it, Lord, that we would come in here really waiting, waiting and anticipating to receive what you have to say, God. Lord, prepare our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit move in this place. In Jesus' almighty name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Silence is frightening, isn't it? Let, let's be honest. Silence can be scary. Ever since we had our first child, me and my wife have been using white noise. And if you don't know what white noise is, it's, it's kind of this noise that, that plays in the background to, to drown out all the other noises that, around, that are surrounding you. 
I remember one night, uh, the power went off, and the white noise just went off itself. And so for the first time, I was faced with the, the noises of my surroundings. Again, I, this is 10 years since we've been using white noise, so every night we turn it on. And so I've never really heard what the things sound like around me. <laughs> And for the first time, I was struck with all this, 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 this sensory overload. I heard things that I had never heard in the night when I was living in the West End. Amen. I heard the cracks of the house, right? I heard, let's be honest, we live in the West End. I heard the gunshots. Amen. That wasn't in our neighborhood. It was in Oakland City, huh? The music, right? The yelling uh, at the, uh, outside at the court uh, that's right near our house. Like, it, it was crazy. I, I heard so much. I found myself, like, not able to rest. See, I ain't going to lie. As, Midwesterners, as a Midwesterner, I say, we were scared. I was scared. I didn't say scared. I was scared. And so I was so scared, man. For the first time, I heard what was going on inside of me, and I couldn't go back to, to sleep. I couldn't wait till the power came on, so I turned that white noise back on so I could rest. But that's what our lives are like, right? Uh, we create white noise to get rid of the noise inside of our hearts. It prevents us from dealing with the chaos right inside of us. Throughout our lives, we face all kinds of pain and trauma. That's a reality for us. Trauma is like the power outage, right? It turns off the white noise in our lives, and we're forced to deal with the mess in our hearts. We don't like silence because silence, in the silence we find what's really the problem. The problem is really more so not outside of us, but it's inside of us, amen? We want to escape the noise of our hearts. That's what we want to do. We run to the white noise. See, we don't just want to avoid the, the situation and the painful situation that we're in. We want, to, we want to avoid the aftershocks of the painful situation, don't we? See, the real disaster is the aftermath, right, of, of what we've just gone through. Our hearts are chaotic, right? Our hearts are always searching and seeking for the things to cover up the noise of our hearts. And in that, we find no rest. Hey, listen, listen, listen. Either we're resting in Christ or we're restless about life. There's really no in-between, right? This is the reality of this, this text, right, in this psalm we're looking at today. David is facing all kinds of suffering. He's tempted to drown out the noise of his heart with more noise. But man, just look at verse 3 and 4. David seems to have more drama in his life than a, a full a season of empire, right? Of love and hip-hop, right? Growing up hip-hop. I don't watch those shows, amen? I don't, hey? Maybe I, I checked out of empire for a little bit, but then it got kind of crazy, right, amen? But see, here's the thing, that's what, that's what his life looks like. He's saying he's weak, he's threatened, he's being lied on. But his resolve is to trust in God alone. Psalm 62 is a very unique psalm. Why? Because it's not a prayer. I know John has been saying that all the psalms are a, psalm, are a prayer to Jesus. But this psalm is unique because it's not a cry to God. See, usually in the psalms what we see is their prayers and their cries for help, cries for mercy, cries for strength. This psalm is not a cry to God, but it's a cry about God. Just look at verses 1 and 5. It's a description about God. Here's the thing, church. The, the issue is deeper than just the pain we experience. It's much deeper than that. It's an issue of our own identity, where we place our identity. You've heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? We, we've heard that phrase before, amen? But it shows, what that phrase shows is that we're impacted by the food that we eat. I can't just continue to eat McDonald's and think that I'm going to be a healthy person. Amen? I ate some this morning, so I feel guilty. I had to confess that to y'all. It was good, though. Amen? <laughs> but it's a phrase that, like I said, it connects our eating habits to one of the most essential aspects of our identity as humans, our body. See, we're three parts. If you didn't know this, we're mind, body, and soul. 
What David is saying is you are what you find your rest in, right? Our identity is rooted in what we chase after to bring us rest. David's heart was searching for rest. In the midst of suffering, David found the secret to a restful heart. So I have two points today, and they're very simple, that restlessness comes from working for our identity, and resting comes from receiving our identity. See, restlessness comes from working for our identity. What I mean is restlessness is a symptom of where you place your value. I remember growing up as a kid, I always thought I was the funniest person in the room. I ain't going to lie. I think I'm still pretty funny to this day. I've always, like, here's the thing. When I was a kid, I, I wasn't always the funniest, though. I was always outclassed by somebody else, right? But I was always in the, in, in the conversation, amen, in the class. I was always in the conversation of being the funniest kid in the class. But sometimes, you know, I, I just couldn't get to, to meet the mark. Somebody would play the dozens way better than I did. So I would go home and I would study. And what I studied, that, what I mean by it is I would go to Comic View and I would listen, I would watch Comic View and steal all of D.L. Hughley's jokes, Amen. And I would just be sitting there like, man, I got, oh, I'm going to get this dude. Ah, I'm about to play the dozens with this dude. I'm going to win. But see, I had too much to make fun of at that time in my life. Amen? <laughs> so he always used to get me. Ah, ah, ah. I used to hit the shots, hit the shots. But man, I loved it when people said, Mo, you are the king of comedy in our class. You are the class clown. I loved it when people gave me that title. See, from birth to death, we are tirelessly working for our significance, aren't we? We all want to be considered unique. We all, all try to set ourselves apart from one another, right? We want, we want to be known as something different than everybody else. Our lives are about building our resume. We love recognition. We love affirmation. Well, see, one of the most scariest things for all of us is what? If I said you would, you would fail tomorrow, most of us would try to clamor and we would try to do something to prevent our, us, ourselves from failing, Right? See, we look to those we deem important for direction, don't we? We place value on people, and our value comes from our relationship to those people. I like to claim that I'm like one degree away from meeting LeBron James, amen? I love to claim that. Some people hear that, they're like, oh, man, you're in for real, for real, for real? You know, I'm like, yeah, dog, I'm, you know, me and LeBron, we're almost like buddies. We're like besties. But here's the reality. We have to ask ourselves, what are we living for? What do, we, what, what, what do we desire most out of life? And here's the thing. We do like to ask that question all the time, don't we, to each other? What do we do for a living, right? We selectively surround ourselves and add people to our lives that we believe will add value to our lives. Hey, we look and we idolize people. We, we, we clamor after the lifestyles that we see and that we want so much. We find ourselves working and working to prove our value and, and to rest in the approval of others or some form of rest, we believe. One thing David points out in verse 9, I love verse 9, is he's saying we put too much weight and stock in people. What they say about us, our relationship to them. If we look at verse 9, David is kind of a mathematician, right? He's, he's showing us the mathematics. He's kind of a scientist as well. His equation is uh, uh, regular people, which he equals to be a vapor, plus prestigious people, which he says is an illusion, way less than a vapor. That means they disappear, they dissipate. Look, he couldn't even say they weigh, like, they weigh as much as air because air is always around us. He says they're like vapor, they even disappear. They have no weight, they have no value. He's not saying that he does not believe in the, the sanctity of life. That's not what David's getting at. He's making a comparison, right? So when he looks at, uh, not, not just only verse, verse 9, we have to look at verse 7, the color in the lines. What he says about God is important. He says, God, he said, is his glory. If you don't know what that word glory means, it means his weight, his value, of utmost importance. He's saying, it's God that gives me my value. 
Amen. Whoever's, uh, uh, whoever you follow, whoever's opinion you think you need, whoever's approval you think you need, whoever's philosophy about life that you live by, whoever you want to model yourself after, whoever IG posts that, you, that you, uh, you like the most, whoever you retweet the most, whoever you get excited about when they retweet you, whoever you get excited about when they put you in their stories, whatever book you're reading right now that you feel like is fixing your life or figuring yourself out, right? He says it does not compare or add value to your life. It's only air. It's only a vapor. Friends, we try to find our significance in people. That's what we do. That's, that's just a natural thing that we do. Listen, both the prestigious and the common people, it's like God is never enough for us, is he? What he says about us, what purposes he has for our lives, it's just never enough for us. We've got to clamor. We've got to find things to add to our life, to find and bring us value. We all want to applause the people. If we don't want to applause the people, we at least want to pat on the back, don't we? There, there you go. Good job. You're an amazing person. I mean, you're such a kind person. We all want compliments. We want people to define who we are, don't we? We want to be seen in a particular light, and we want to, others to see us in a particular light. Amen? See, Atlanta is full of people who pretend to be somebody they're not. Amen? Now, the first time I came into Atlanta, I was surprised. People were just pretending. They were fronting. They were stunting like they was somebody that they weren't. Brother be like, yeah, I'm a CEO of this company and whatnot. Boy, the only CEO you are of your, of your own household. You're not a CEO of nothing. <laughs> yeah, you got a company. All right, man. Listen, man, they're trying to preserve their image, right, or try to build one. Everyone looks to build a platform and be an influencer. Because there's also people in Atlanta who, who make it a point to advocate for the common folk, right? They pride themselves on what they're doing and who they're helping. Sometimes the work is more about their insecurities and about what they're actually doing and the people they're serving. You might be saying, Pastor Mo, man, those things aren't necessarily bad. Being a YouTuber or an influencer, you might be saying, hey, Mo, Mo, Pastor Mo, not being, helping people out is not a bad thing. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that a two-year-old would ask. Why? Why? Why are you want this? Why do you desire this? What's your motivation? Who are you trying to prove yourself to? Is it your parents, your peers, your friends? Ever felt left behind by your peers? I don't know about you, but I felt left behind before. Ever felt like you're trying to play catch up to people? Like you're just trying to keep up with them folks? They just started doing so well. I got a friend, like I said, I got one degree away from LeBron, and he's hanging out with LeBron James. He's hanging out with Jay-Z, and I'm always looking at him on IG, and I'm like, man, I want that life. I remember one point in my life, I was just desperate. I was looking at him. I was like, I was just on his IG all the time, liking everything. Maybe he'll notice it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm best friends with this guy. I grew up with him. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, what is going on in me? I, I, I look, look, here's the thing. We're looking for identity, and we find a sense of identity when we rest in the opinions of others. Or we, we find a sense of identity when we're trying, we read something that, that helps us figure our lives out, right? That's why we love gift tests. And we love the Enneagram, right, don't we? They're so popular because why? They help us figure out who we are. But here's the thing. They can't be your glory. They can't be what ultimately defines you. We become extremely restless in the pursuit of finding our identities in people and in the systems they create to define us. Because it's an unending pursuit, right? It's just white noise covering up what's really going on inside of you. David is saying we try to build our identity on people. Listen, friends, you can't build anything on air. It's a vapor. Try to build it on it. It's going to become crashing down. 
That's the reality of our lives. We can't build on air. Listen, when tragedy strikes, I've never heard somebody be consumed about where they're, where they're getting their identity from. Like, in other words, I don't, I don't think they're consumed by, hey, what do people think of them? I don't think people, when, they, when tragedy hits, I don't think they're consumed by what the gift test says about them. Have you ever been on the other end of receiving bad news? What was your response? Definitely wasn't even like, man, I wonder what people think about me. I, I, I wonder what this test says about me. I, I'm going to run straight to the Enneagram and figure out how I'm supposed to grieve. That, that's not what you do. When it hits you, like, you know what I'm saying? You're, 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 you're like, if you ever lost... A loved one? Have you ever got bad news from a doctor? Have you ever been in an emotional crisis that was caused by something triggering you because you went through some past trauma? You don't sit here, you don't sit here saying, hey, I wonder what, uh, what, the, what the, uh, uh, Myers-Briggs says about this. But that's what we do. We, we, we clamor and we want something to define things for us. Well, here's the thing, we're left trying to make sense of what our life is all about when, when those things happen, isn't it? We, we, we try to build our world on something that cannot carry the load of what tragedy and trauma can do to us, right? Because it was never meant to carry that load. It can't be your hope, it can't save you, and it can't protect you, ultimately. Yet people are just half the white noise, right? We look at things also. It's crazy in verse 10, he talks about human effort to gain riches and obtain things. He's pointing at what, what, what we really want is the fact that we want things to bring us security and to become our hope. In verse 8, we see the word heart. It's mentioned just like in verse 10. Our problem is typically our hearts find hope in the things that are temporal, not in the eternal God. We grip on the things. We want things. We, we want people. We want all these things. When, when most of the time when we're suffering, all we can think about is where are all the people in our lives? We're, we're so concerned about what other people are thinking sometimes in those situations. Like, why aren't they there in our lives? You think that people will bring us security, but he's saying those things are temporal. People will fail you. Haven't found that out about life yet? Let me give you a, a wake-up call. People will make mistakes. People can't be there for you all the time. And so when you're left by yourself, what do you have? And I hope you answer that question correctly. And today, I hope to help you answer that question correctly. David is helping us see our hearts long for something to place its trust in. We're looking for a sense of security and hope. We labor all our lives just to make something out of ourselves, don't we? We buy stuff just to say, look at what I got. Look at what I have. Look at what I've done with my life. Look at the value I have now. We use titles like homeowner, entrepreneur, business owner, influencer, MD, PhD, CPA, whatever, whatever you want to add to that list. See, the Bible has a lot to say about when we place our hearts on, on the security that money or things can buy. Here's the thing. It says, for the love of money is the, all, is the root of all kinds of evils. It says, you cannot serve God in money. You remember the rich young ruler in the Gospels? He kept saying, hey, man, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And so Jesus gives him a list of the law. He says, man, have you done all these things in the law? He said, yeah, I've done that. That brother was very boastful in that time, even just saying that. But one of the things you notice is that Jesus says, go sell all your belongings and all your things you have and give them to the poor. And what did he do? Amen. He went away weeping, grieving. Listen, we spend all our, our life trying to find security and hope. Money and things are just our poison of choice. It's going to poison our hearts, and we think we're going to depend on God at the same time depending on, uh, on, on those other things. You can't. You can't serve God and other things. Jesus plus something else equals nothing. That's the reality of our lives. 
But here's the thing. I ask, if, if I ask you something, and I want to ask you a question, just picture in your minds right now and imagine what you believe success looks like. Just imagine in your mind what success looks like. And I guarantee it's, 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 it's probably attached to a person. It's probably attached to something you might uh, 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 get or uh, uh, some type of accomplishment. It might be attached to some type of thing that you're going to gain. But here's the thing. How many of you pictured yourself and others around you growing into the image of Christ? How many of you looked at yourself and said, man, man, people around me, me sharing the gospel, me doing the things that God has called me to do, me growing and becoming more holy like Jesus is holy, and that, that's what success looks like for my life. Man, I understand we should be good stewards, and money and owning things are not our problem. That isn't what's wrong with us, right? I'm saying what this text is helping us understand that our hearts shouldn't cry out for things, but for the Lord, for our security and our hope. This is how we create right noise, right? The reality is that we're all prone to try to find rest in created things. That's just our inclination. That's our sinfulness. That's our brokenness. Our hearts are always making noise. Our temptation for us is to drown out that noise with white noise, meaning people's approval and, and the security of things. But what is the secret, secret to a restful heart? What does David prescribe for us all? Remember, this is not a, a, a prayer, but it's a declaration to God, uh, 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 to David, and to us as well. In the midst of hard times, David is tempted to just be like us. He's tempted. He's tempted just to do things that, 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 and find his security in other things. But he's resolute, though, on where he finds his rest. See, David knows that rest comes from receiving identity. What I mean is that rest is not in what we do or what we've earned, but in what Christ has done for us. It was the saddest day of my life. I can remember it like it's yesterday, y'all. Uh, part of the reason why I'm wearing this sweatshirt, I don't usually wear sweatshirts when I preach. Uh, not that I'm trying to be showy and make y'all impressed or anything. Keith looks good, though. Amen. Uh, but it was the saddest day of my life. I remember I was coming from the doctor. I had had some health issues, some health problems. And I just remember, man, just already disturbed and discouraged, man, because I had just went to the doctor and I had to get some testing done. Like, you know, I didn't know on the other side, like getting closer to 40, that I would have to go to the doctor and be worried about testing. Amen. And so one of the things I remember is just, man, I, I, was, I, was, I was driving home and already discouraged because I had nothing bad. I'm good. I'm actually okay, y'all. I just want y'all to know that. But I was discouraged at that time. And I remember just uh, getting a phone call, and I knew who it was, and I knew what he was going to say. I knew it, man. I knew when I got that call what he was going to say. He said, Nate is gone. And I immediately started wailing and crying. This is Nate's number right here. It's class of 98. And I remember just wailing and feeling so broken and feeling so chaotic. I didn't know what to do. You know, when you're grieving so bad, you don't know what to say. You just say all kinds of things, right? I kept saying, man, brother, I'm driving. I can't do this right now. Brother, I'm driving. I can't do this right now. I remember my mind and my heart was just all full of just anger, frustration, all kinds of things. I remember what my friend did at that moment, though, the one who called me. He was actually Nate's pastor. I remember what he did at that moment, he, and he's been a pastor to me as well. I remember him just screaming out and crying out to God, even in his own tears. I remember him calling out to goodness, God, you are a comforter. God, you save Nate. God, you are our salvation. You are our refuge. You are our protection. And I remember him just doing that to me, and I remember what he was doing. He was worshiping. And I remember what I did. I worshiped with him. 
I sat down and started screaming out the goodness of God, how amazing God is, all the things that God was doing in the midst of this. Here's the thing, friends. I'm describing, what, describing what's happening in, in David's life. He's going all, through all things, all kinds of sufferings. Instead of embracing more noise in his life, instead of turning the, uh, to other things, instead of embracing things that would cause him more chaos, he found re- peace and silence and rest in God himself. One of the most unique aspects about this text is this word alone. In its Hebrew form, it's repeated six times. It's a word of emphasis. It's meaning that it's trying to make a huge point. It's a focal point in this text. It's helping us understand what David is trying to proclaim to us. He's saying that our rest is found solely, completely, and absolutely in God himself. There are no other substitutes, right? It can't be found anywhere else. Uh, There there are no other counterfeits. It ain't in your vacation. It's not in your retirement. It's not in anything else. Not in in getting married one day. It's not in anything. It's only in God himself. We can think it's coming from somewhere else, but it's not. We try to find rest in people and things, but they bring more chaos to our hearts. Our hearts will be more dependent on those things than they are on God. Here's the thing. There will be an exchange. There will be an exchange, but that exchange will not be even. If I ask you to tell me about your week right now, what would it tell a story of? What narrative would it, would it sing to us, right? The songs are songs, but what narrative would your story about your week be, right? How would you describe it in your own words? Would you talk about how hard work has been? Would you talk about the amazing trip you just had on vacation? Would you talk about your family troubles? Would you talk about all these other things that are going on in your life? Or would you proclaim in your narrative, the faithfulness and grace and love that God has been in your life. Notice the the personal pronoun, my, that he's continually using in verse 1 and 2 and 5 through 7. He's wrapping his whole existence on the fact that God is God. He's saying that, God, I bet my life on you. Kind of like Kanye, it's on God. Amen. Our whole existence is a testimony to God's goodness and faithfulness. For some, this might be hard to see because I know you're probably going through something right now. I hear what you're saying. You're just throwing the Bible at me and God at me, but he's not a solution to my problems. Here's the thing. Listen closely. I will help you see that he is the solution to the problems that you're facing. And there is the suffering that David is saying, I can see the faithfulness and goodness of God. I can tell if you're resting in God by your response in the midst of trials. I think everybody can tell around you. Your response shows who you really are. And we See, here's the thing. We act out of our identity, don't we? Rest comes from receiving identity. You don't know, you see the thing, you know if you received your identity by the object of your hope. I love what St. Augustine has to say, and I've used this quote before. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. What I believe St. Augustine is getting out is this sense of home, this, this thing, this, this concept of home. See, home is where identity is shaped, right? It's where we're raised and where we, our culture is formed at home, right? It's a place of rest. It's a place where we can be fully known and accepted. It's a place where we don't have to perform. That's what he's getting at. See, my wife and I are building a home right now. Amen, I'll tell you right now, it's a mess. I'll tell you, I, I would not wish this on my enemies, amen. But I remember, man, we, we, we got to have all these conversations. And, you know, some of these conversations I don't like to have. I mean, my wife knows it. She looks in my face and she's like, I got to talk about tile, really? Honey, tile, is that what we're going to talk about? Uh, and I'm like, she, 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 she's diligent and she's working hard and she's working profusely on just trying to figure out things. But one of the things that we have when you're building a house is a cost to build, amen? The bank just don't give you money, you know what I'm saying? Like, they say, hey, here's money and this is what you got to do. You got to present a budget to them of how you're going to use this money. 
And so one of the things we have is we have a bathroom budget. And in our bathroom budget, we're kind of saying, and you know, I had to make the comments to my wife, and she, she's back standing in the back. She can testify to this. I said, baby, let's spend the bag in our master bathroom, amen? You know what I'm saying? Let's spend the bag there, baby. Forget the kids. All they're going to do is ruin that bathroom. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If y'all got boys, say amen, amen. Boys, oh, I ain't going to tell you what we find, but we find <laughs> discouragement. That's what we find in there. <laughs> We go to our boys' bathroom, boy. I found all kinds of stuff. But here's the thing. I said, let's spend the money on our, our bathroom. And my wife, she's profound. She says profound things. And she's like, Mo, you know what? She's like, people spend the most money on places where people rarely or never going to see. Amen? And I looked at my wife. I, you know, I had to be profound. I had to one-up her. I said, baby, come on. Now I got something for you now. I said, a home is supposed to be a place where we rest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had one of those moves. A home is supposed to be a place where we can feel vulnerable and we can, we can, yeah, you know, so I'm getting all deep on it, right? And I just remember, like, you know, just saying that, but it struck me. Yeah, your, your person's bathroom, especially their personal bathroom, is a great place where we're really vulnerable, aren't we? It's the only place where we can sing Whitney Houston's greatest hits and think we're killing it, amen? Some of y'all know y'all don't sound like Whitney. <laughs> who y'all sound like? I don't know who you sound like, but you don't sound like Whitney. So here's the thing, though, y'all. Home provides security, provides shelter. Look what David is saying about the Lord. He is my salvation. He is my rock. He is my stronghold. He is my refuge. These names help us see that God is a fortress for his people. He is our protection. He is our shelter. I know, us, I know for some of us, when we think of home, we can't think of home in that concept because what, what happened at our homes? I'm one of them, y'all. Home was never a place of rest. Home was always about performance. Home was never a place where I could see my identity being the best of me. But here's the thing. We all long for home. You ever seen Antoine Fisher or, or, Fisher, or have you ever read his book? That's what he's talking about, this, this place where we can be fully known, fully accepted, fully loved, receive the peace and rest that we really want and we desire. In times of trouble, our hearts are most vulnerable as they can be, right? We are tempted to doubt and chase after the wind. God is saying he is our shelter and our security. When we trust in him as our home, he gives us what? A new identity and a true identity. That's what he does. God is our home. As our home. We are at rest when we make God our home. But here's the question you've got to be asking. How do we make God our home? Like I said before, we receive our identity. That's the beauty of the gospel. Notice throughout the Bible, God has made it plain that he wants to be a home for his creation. We look at Genesis in, in the creation story. God created a garden where we, we would be in perfect fellowship with him. Our rest was not in the tranquility and the provision of the garden. It was, our rest came that we were in perfect fellowship with God. We sinned against God and, and the chaos came into the world and, and, and we were removed from the garden. And most of all, we were separated from God. Now, what amazes me is God's response in the Bible. He constantly desired for humanity to find their home in him. Look at what God does. Through Abraham, he makes a promise that his, that his people will find their home one day. Through Jacob, he claims his people and gives them an identity. Through Moses, he promises rest and peace in a new home. Through, through the prophets, he tells of a time where rest will come to his people. Through Christ, he adopts his children and the promises have been made ours. This is what he's given us. We are now children. We have a new identity. We have a true identity. This is who we are. We are children of God. That is what the gospel proclaims to us. This is why we find rest in realizing what Christ has provided us at home in God himself. 
On the cross, Jesus' work was not just to forgive us of our sins, which is an amazing feat, not just to pronounce us not guilty, but we find our home in God again. We found rest and peace, accepted. We're fully known. We can be vulnerable with God. See, our identity is in Christ. And I love what Galatians 3, 6, 26 says. It says, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. It's by faith in believing in the gospel that we were brought back home and receive our true identity. And that's where we find rest. I love what Jesus tells us. He says, come all who are burdened and heavy of heart, and I will be your rest. No matter what, love, what, love, what life throws at you. This should be the anchor for our souls. No matter what, God, what you're going through, you will not be shaken in the midst of trials and tribulations. That's why we're called to do what? To hold on to our faith in Jesus. That's why we're called to do that. To take hold of what has already taken hold of us. Amen or oh me. See, here's the thing. When you realize that Christ is your only hope in this life and the life to come, you begin to deal with the real noise that's in your heart. Like I said earlier, we tend to cover up noise with white noise, people and things, right? Yet there's still a noise in our hearts that silence reveals. Remember, there was chaos when, when I was talking about the, the, the white noise not being turned off, right? There was chaos all around me, and there's chaos in our hearts that trauma brings. See, the issue is underneath the issue. What I mean is when we place our trust in Christ, we find ourselves for the first time exposed. This is why the silence can be so scary. It's, it's now seeing yourself as truly who you are. In Christ, we finally see ourselves as weak and needy. We see ourselves as vulnerable. Here, you know, when, when the gospel talks about children, and Jesus talks about children in the gospels, he always talks about this, this faith, this deep faith they have. But he also, in the same breath, shows us that the fact that children are weak and they're vulnerable. How's that for a self-esteem boost? Some of us, that's all we want is a self-esteem boost. We want somebody to pat us on the back, and we want to be known for our accomplishments. We want to be known for the things that we've done and the work that we've done. And nothing, nothing about that is bad unless that becomes your hope in this life and the life to come. You can't earn your way into God's favor. It's beyond you. You don't have a hope within yourself. You need a hope that is outside of yourself, my friends. Here's the thing, y'all. David is trying to say this about himself and about us, that he recognizes that he's weak, that he can't stand on his own two feet without God. He's kind of like uh, 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 Tyson Fury in the fight with Deontay Wilder. His, your legs are too weak to box with God. You can't stand on your, it ain't the 40 pounds that Tyson, you know, not, uh, that Deontay put on himself. But the weight of life is just like that. It's different for us. The pressure and the people and the things that we want, they put more than 40 pounds on us. They put the world and they put uh, eternity on our shoulders. And we can't carry that weight. Amen or oh me. Our problem is that we believe we can live without God. And you might find that offensive. It's like, not me, Pastor. I don't believe I can live without God. But here's the thing. You live lives that you, where it denies the sufficiency of Christ. That all the time, you don't think that God has an answer for the, the most troubling areas of your life because you run to other things. What is it, YouTube for you? What is it, food? What is it, a relationship? What do you run to? Because we all run to something because that's what we think. We think that those things are, can meet a need that God can't. We go to therapy. We go to counselors. We believe those people have the answers in their hands. They don't. They don't have the answers that you need to get you through life. Here's the thing. We try to take control of our own plans. 
This is what is revealed at the bottom of our hearts. There's a temptation that reared its ugly head in the garden. We want God's position. Amen? Our fight, our fight is that we want control. This is why we turn to other things and, and, and people for our identity. We want to define who we are and we want to define our lives, don't we? We want to call the shots. It's not what's being done to us that's the biggest issue in our lives. It's not what's being done. It's not what happened to you in the past. I know that's hard for some of you to swallow. See, the thing is, we think that it's the thing that's happened to us. I grew up in an abusive home. I want to tell you straight up and down. My dad was a drug addict. He died a drug addict. He was bipolar. He had all kinds of issues. I can blame that he left us and he beat on my brother, beat on my mother, beat on all of us at some point in fact. By the way, I, and I can respond in a certain way that shows that. But that's not my issue. That's never been my problem. My problem is I want control. I want to be God. That is my problem. That is the core of my heart. So I'm not talking to somebody who don't have the experience of facing trauma. I'm not talking to the person who doesn't have the experience of being hurt, deeply injured by people. I know this from experience. You can ask my wife. You can ask all of us, man. You can ask the pastors. You can ask all of us. Our biggest problem is not what's been done to us. It's our problem. It's our response to what's been done to us. Here's the thing. Anger is a dangerous thing, my friends. Because some of y'all think y'all got righteous anger because you're angry and you're, you're bitter at things that people have done to you. I want to tell you right now, that anger is dangerous. The reason why anger is dangerous is because it easily becomes sinful. There's a line that you don't know that you're crossing, and when you cross it, you're taken over, and you're being succumbed by those things. Your focus is more on people than the God who is. Am I telling the truth or am I lying to you? Here's the thing. In the reality, friends, in this text, David is trying to get us to see if we want rest, we will have to surrender our hearts to God. This isn't done in a one-and-done experience, right, of the past. This isn't done of something that might happen in the future. It's done now. What does it look like to constantly surrender our hearts to God? I'll tell you if you want to know. Amen? There's two things in particular. Reminding ourselves and then reminding others. What I mean by reminding ourselves, this means that we understand that we are prone to forget God's goodness, his love, and what, that we need his strength. One of the unique things about the cadence of this text, and I love it, it says, it says in verse uh, 1 and 5, uh, it's, it's calling ourselves to remember who God is. He starts off declaring the trust and the goodness of God, and right after he starts to talk about his situation, his trauma, all the pain that he's going through, all the suffering he's going through. And then what he does in verse 5, he does some soul talk. He goes back to God. Here's the thing. When we're going through things, when we're, we're facing all kinds of trauma, we're facing all kinds of suffering in our lives, I don't know what it is for you today, but I know one thing is that most of us don't go back to God. We go back to other things, people, things, Things that we think are going to add or, or, or destroy the noise in our lives, but they just cause chaos. And we end up trusting in those things more than we trust in God. Here's the thing. David felt welcomed back. He felt welcomed back by God. Everyone in here is facing trauma daily, and we're triggered by something. And, and, and it's triggering us to, to, to trust in other things rather than God. I'm showing the spiritual warfare in this, my friends. That we're all in spiritual warfare. That every day we have to put on the full armor of God and trust and believe who, G who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Some of us, we're so easily duped and, and we're so easily fooled. And guess what? We all are. Here's the thing. 
What he's trying to say is that, man, we should not be triggered to trust in other things. What David is showing us is how we should respond. When we're triggered by things that might tempt us to trust in something else other than God, that we remind ourselves. Attach God's character to our circumstance. The beauty in the psalm is full of a real human experience, but it's also full of a real God. It's not just full of uh, his experiences. It's full of his declaration about who God is, that God is his glory. God isn't just this made-up thing that we could just go to and run to on a particular time or occasion. He says, God is is, is the one who who I find rest in alone. Listen, studying God's character can help us see the beauty in our suffering. See, here's the thing. Most of us don't realize, man, after facing a a series of painful events, that we think that that, that everything is over. You know, we go through stuff, and we we face hard stuff, and we get through it, and we think we're done, right? That's what we do. We just kind of, hey, I've been through it. It it, it caused this type of pain, and it's done. But I'm going to let you know that stuff stays with you. But here's the thing what God is trying to do in the midst of all your suffering, all the things that you're going through. He's trying to help you see that you need to trust in him and not in created things. He's saying that I need to depend on God. I need to bet my life on God. There's no other thing that I can find rest in but God himself. Here's the thing. When you remember the character of God, either before, during, or after a hard time, it will help you build your muscle to look at him when you're suffering. Another way that we surrender is calling our hearts. Uh, calling, our, calling others to surrender their hearts to God, reminding others. Some of, you, some of us in this room are, are in the midst of nothing. That we're just, we're just, life is going good. Life ain't hard right now. So we're, we're, we're tempted to tuck this in our back pocket and say, man, when I'm going through stuff, I'm going to pull out this sermon. Thank you for giving me that much credit that it's a good enough sermon that you would tuck it. Amen. But guess what? That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that we have to constantly remind ourselves and we've we got to constantly look at the character of God. It's not just in suffering that we do that. And so how do we do that? We call others to place their trust in Christ. In verse 8, it tells us to trust in God and pour out our hearts. One of the ways that we can continue to place uh, and be in a place of submission is to call others to trust in our God. One thing I love about brothers like Keith, and I love Keith, man, is his enthusiasm. That brother's always enthusiastic. He's the type of brother to walk in the room and tell you I love you. And I'm like, brother, dang, it's too much right now, too early, amen. But I love his enthusiasm, particularly after he shares the gospel. Man, one of the things I love when he comes back and he shared the gospel with somebody. Man, Keith is like transformed. He's just talking about, man, man, he's not talking about what, how he dumped on somebody and all the truth that he told him, but he's enamored by the truth and the grace that, that, that Christ is, what he, Christ has done for him. And almost like it solidifies his hope in Christ. See, here's the thing about sharing the gospel with others. God is constructed in a way that it's actually just as beneficial for us as it is for those who hear the gospel. Amen. I want you all to know that, that, that God is, is, is saying that a surrendered heart understands and connects our new identity, our true identity, to his purpose for us. Look in 2 Corinthians 5, the fact that we are new creations created in Christ Jesus in our role as ambassadors. God is making our appeal through us, his appeal through us. Here's the thing, a Christian is a person that proclaims the good news to others. There is no other way to, to get that. You can't understand your Christianity and say this any other way. See, our identities are wrapped up in his purpose that he's given us. If you feel a deep obligation to share your faith with others, you're starting to understand what it means to be a Christian. That's what it really means. There are some out here who are sharing the gospel, and I love y'all, and I I, I know that it's hard. You're not seeing much fruit. But here's the encouragement I want to give you guys. You're not seeing much fruit, and sometimes you're focused on the results too much. But you need to be focused more on the message than the results. The message needs to be the thing that, that, that beats your heart, that the passion that you have to share the gospel because you're reminded by what God has done for you. 
Here's the thing, y'all. We also need to help others by telling them to pour their hearts out to God through prayer. See, I've already established that God is trustworthy. That's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. The thing is that we shouldn't be surprised that God wants to help others see him in that way as well. What I'm saying is we have to help people and counsel people to pour out their hearts in prayer to God. We have to help people understand that God wants to hear about every little detail of your life. He cares about you that much. He, he knows the number of hairs that's on your head. He's saying, come to me with all your baggage, all your junk, and guess what? I will be your rest. Here's the thing. That's why God has established his church. Right? That's why, that's why we're his church. That we are to remind one another of the goodness of God. That's why we're his church. Our main sole purpose as a church cornerstone is to remind the people next to you that God loves them. That God cares for them. To, to, to connect the, their circumstances to God's character that meets their needs. See, here's the thing. I want you all to understand, cornerstone, what real help and what real, like what it really is. See, we need to care more about people's spiritual growth. We need to care that people are becoming more like Jesus than anything else. We need meaningful relationships that care for one another's souls. And, I, and what I mean is we need good friendships. See, see, most of us don't think about friendship in that way. We think about friendship as just a casual, you know, I know this person, we're close, we, we do things together. But no, the most important aspect of a friend to me and even in scripture is that, man, this person encourages me to walk with Jesus, to cry out to God. That I don't put my hope in anything else but Christ himself. See, we need people who know our deepest longings, our biggest temptations, that share in our joys and our sorrows. See, here's the thing. In people's darkest times, they are asking God questions. They're not asking. Here's the problem. People are not asking anthropological questions. That means questions about human behavior. What they're asking is, God, why? Theological questions. The thing all we need is, that God is saying is that we need, what we need to do is care about the, most, the important aspects of people's lives. That's their relationship with Jesus. To keep our identity rooted in Christ. That we would experience God's love and his power. These relationships are hard to find for some of y'all, isn't it? These relationships are hard to, 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 to find because they're hard, they take a long time to figure out, right? It takes perseverance, and sometimes they're seasonal. I want to say this right now, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes we base our Christianity on who we surround ourselves at at the time. If you're more of a Christian when you're hanging around other Christians, then there's something about what you believe about the gospel. I'm going to be honest with you. If my Christianity can't, uh, can't withstand the, the naysayers or the people who, who say that Christ is stupid or that Jesus isn't anything. I used to be a Muslim, y'all. I got plenty of those people in my life. But guess what? If I can't be, I'm less of a Christian when I'm around those guys who are smoking weed, kicking it, and, and, and they got all these arguments against Christ. If I'm less of a Christian then, then, I, then, my, then what is it saying about my, my faith in Christ and where my hope is lying? Here's the thing. Relationships, like I said, are hard to find. But here's the thing. We need to be receptive of people who become brothers and sisters in a time of need. Some of us, we get so wrapped up in the fact that what people didn't do for us in the past, that people aren't caring, they're not loving, they're not, they're not here for us all the time. But when they show up, don't reject them. Don't be skeptical of people's motives when they finally show up. Some of us, we do that too often. 
We're saying, well, well now you're going to show up. When I remember, you know, when people went through, where was you at then? You become skeptical and you can't do that. You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. God has provision and grace for you at that time. Here's the thing, y'all. In verse 11 and 12, it tells us that what trusting in Christ and resting in Christ really looks like. These are the results of trusting and resting in God, that we would live in his power and faithful love. We don't live, uh, we, that we wouldn't live defeated lives and we would have a security in what Christ has done for us. But I want to focus on verse 12 real quick because I think it's really important because it lets us know about a person who, who, who places their trust in what the work that they do. See, they're really telling on themselves. See, your lives give evidence of something much deeper going on. Romans teaches us the wages of sin, the identity you work for is death. But the gift, of, the gift, the identity we receive of God is eternal life. If David is saying, which David is saying in the past 11 verses, has not struck a chord with you, I pray this will jolt you. If you're earning or working for your identity all your life, it might be a symptom of what you believe about the Christian life. That God is more of an acquaintance than your God. Do you really know him? The evidence of a life trying to meet the mark, it's a life searching for rest in everything else and sometimes God. Amen? The pursuit of selfish ambitions in the pursuit of your own glory, not his. I want to say this. If you're unsure where you stand with Christ, then I want you to know that Christ's hands are always open to you. They're always extended. He's calling you home. The gospel has not passed you up. Here's the thing. You can place your hope and trust and insurance on Christ's back. God sent his son Jesus to bring you back to himself. Sin broke your fellowship with God. And the wages that you should have earned is death. Yet God, being rich in mercy, sent Jesus to take your sin upon himself and nail it to the cross. Leaving you forgiven of your sins and recipients of eternal life. But most of all, fellowship with God. He becomes your home. He gives you an identity. For those who receive their identity already. Remember, look, silence doesn't have to be scary anymore. So you don't have to fear silence. Jesus came so you can overcome that silence, the things of your heart. So rest in God alone. Be at rest in him. Quiet the noise of your heart by trusting in the character of God. Remember his character. Here's what he's doing, y'all. He's calling us home. Please come home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all the things that you've done on the cross for us, God. I pray, God, that everybody in this room would see that we can truly rest in Christ alone, that there's no other God but you, God, that you are our hero, you are our hope, you are our security, you are our shelter, you are our protection. God, there are some here who doubt that. I pray for those people today. I pray, Lord, they would see you as the, the Holy One of, that has come to, to, take, to give them a righteousness that is foreign from theirs, that, 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 that their righteousness isn't good enough to earn their approval of God. That Jesus, that you have come in and swooped in, Lord, and given them your righteousness. God, there our hope would be in the gospel, in the gospel alone. So, Father, as we move in this time of communion, Father, I pray that we would remind ourselves of your hope. In Jesus' name.